We pick up this morning in our sermon series on the Gospel of John by continuing our story from last Sunday. That last Sunday we saw Jesus and his disciples were traveling from the Judean countryside up to the northern region of Galilee that would become Jesus's primary area of ministry. To get there, they had to pass through Samaria, the hated neighbors of the Jews. Jesus met a Samaritan woman at a well and began a conversation with her, inviting her to receive the salvation he could provide as the Messiah. But we left off there in verse 26, before the woman had an opportunity to respond to Jesus's admission that he was the Messiah. So we're going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 27, and see how this story concludes and what change happened in the woman and those around in that region. So if you would, open up your Bibles. You can use your bulletins, the Pew Bibles, wherever you can find the text. Have it in front of you, John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 27 through 42. John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. This is in Samaria. Jesus had been talking to this woman at the well, and we pick up here verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your word. We thank you, O Lord, for speaking today through the Spirit and your word, your divinely inspired word that is 
infallible, that it always does what you have sent it to do. And so today, oh God, we pray that in the power of your spirit, this word would do what you have sent it to do, that you would use me in spite of my sin and my weakness to clearly proclaim your word, explaining and expounding it, and that you would give us ears to hear, oh God, ears to hear you speaking through your word. Give us open hearts and minds to be changed by the Spirit's work inside of us to believe this Word, O God. To be molded and shaped by it, O Lord. We pray that You would do all of this, that we would better glorify Jesus Christ, our Savior, indeed the Savior of the world, in whose name we pray. Amen. This morning in John chapter 4, and kind of this second half of chapter 4, we'll get to the very end next week, but at the second half of this story with the woman at the well, we see the idea of mission predominantly. And we see that Jesus wants his followers to see their collective mission is making disciples. That we are sent forth to go and make disciples. And he tries to show them this by teaching them a lesson from harvesting. And then what's really neat is he has a different example. He uses the Samaritans, in essence, as an example for what it looks like to be part of this harvest work of making disciples. And so having looked at those two things, I want us to then consider the harvest that exists in our day as well. Well, the story picks up in verse 27. The disciples are returning from town with the food they purchased. They had been on a journey and they were tired and Jesus was hungry and thirsty. And John reports that they, the disciples, marveled that Jesus was talking with a woman. Now, that may not be some reason for us to marvel, but it was uncommon in those days for a man to talk to a woman that he did not know. And it was especially unusual for a Jewish rabbi to speak to a Samaritan woman that he did not know. But shockingly, the disciples kept their mouths shut. They didn't disrupt this conversation as it was finishing, though they probably had some awkward stares on their faces as they showed up. And so after the woman leaves the well and her water jar, the disciples tell Jesus, eat, you're hungry. The disciples see that Jesus appears exhausted since he was tired and thirsty even before he talked to the woman. We don't even know if he got that drink he asked her for. It doesn't say. But even in his exhaustion, Jesus has something to teach his disciples. They want him to eat food, but he tells them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now, Jesus is not referring to a secret snack stash. I know that in my office, I have a secret snack stash and then a top secret extra hidden stash of snacks in case anyone finds that stash. This is a different kind of food that Jesus is using another example here of a saying that people would misunderstand. He used living water in chapter four. He used being born again in chapter 3, that Jesus here says, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. And so it is not literal food, but it is something that sustains Him. That even more important than the basic functions of eating and drinking is Jesus' desire to obey His heavenly Father. It is His fundamental delight in life. 
that nothing would bring him greater joy, that nothing more fully occupies his mind than obeying the will of his Father and doing what he has been sent to do. We saw this in our New Testament reading from Matthew 4, where Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. On that instance, Jesus went 40 days without food, being far hungrier than he would have been at this well. And yet when Satan tempted him to use his divine power to turn stones into bread, Jesus replied by quoting scripture, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That obeying God's commands is even more essential than food. As Adam and Eve learned in their temptation that disobedience leads to death and separation from God, no matter how desirable and tasty that food may be, obedience is more important. The disciples don't understand this, at least not yet. They probably saw this stop in Samaria like we would see a stop at a gas station on a road trip that we're just passing through. We're stretching our legs, filling up the tank with gas, using the bathroom, maybe buying a snack for the road. That's it. We're not here to be chatty with the locals. We're not here to socialize with fellow travelers. We are here to meet our basic needs and beyond the move, we want to get there at a certain time. Not Jesus. Jesus looks beyond meeting his basic needs to consider how he can obey the Father and fulfill his mission on earth even when he's hungry and thirsty. Jesus uses an analogy to teach his disciples this lesson. He talks about the harvest in order to get us to see what our primary work should be. Jesus says, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, we don't know exactly what time of year it was when Jesus said this, but it was not yet the literal harvest time. Jesus wants his disciples to see that they are living in a unique time of spiritual harvest. He goes on to talk about sowing and reaping with the implication being that the Jewish prophets before them had sown the seeds of God's word for generations that God had spoken through them, promising there's this Messiah who will come. He will come and do all of these things. Well, now He is here. The seeds that were sown are now in full fruit and ready to be reaped. That Jesus has good news to share with these lost people, including a Samaritan woman. And He wants His disciples to have this harvest attitude at all times. Even if they're on a journey... And even if they're hangry, that we need this kind of harvest attitude that Jesus has called his disciples to enter into the labor of the Old Testament prophets, that they are not planting brand new seeds, but reaping seeds of old that had been planted long ago. And if the prophets could see how their seeds were ripening, they would be overjoyed. These disciples had the unique privilege of announcing that the promised Messiah had finally come, that a new age was beginning, the kingdom of God was at hand, 
And Jesus didn't want anything to distract them from that task because the harvest was ripe. And as we read in this passage, we see Jesus has given the disciples an example of this ripe harvest. Showing them here is what it looks like to enter into the labor of making disciples. That as we look at the Samaritan woman in particular and the Samaritans in general, we see an unlikely example of this harvest mentality. What we should see when we look at this verse is that the disciples marveled at the wrong thing. They showed up carrying food and they were shocked. Oh my God, he's talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman. They were totally shocked by that. They should not have been shocked that Jesus was breaking convention. They should have marveled that this Samaritan woman had come to faith in the Jewish Messiah. And they should have further marveled that this woman immediately went and told everyone she knew that this man was the Messiah. That she left her water jar and ran into town. She knew that this guy was a traveler and he was going to go on his way soon. And so she left as quick as she could to make sure other people could get there to see, is this guy really the Messiah? Because it seems like he is. It's as if Jesus is saying to his disciples, do you want proof that the harvest is ripe? Then look at this disreputable Samaritan woman who believes. Look at her run and tell others about me. And look at how these Samaritans flock to meet me. Look at how they are inviting me to stay longer because they want to hear my word. That even though Jesus and his disciples are Jews, these Samaritans, natural enemies of one another, they invite them to stay. And they do so on the basis of this woman's testimony. And after only two days, the Samaritan people of the town come to greater faith. They tell this woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Do the disciples need any more evidence that the harvest is ripe than that? The Samaritans were the enemies of the Jews. They hated each other. And yet those barriers of enmity are broken down by the good news of the gospel. I mean, just consider how unlikely all of this is. What if Jesus and his disciples had decided, no, we got enough in the tank. We can push to the next rest stop. We don't need to stop here. And they just went on to the next town. What if Jesus had done what every other rabbi would have done and just not spoken to the woman when she had come to the well? What if the Samaritan woman had refused to believe Jesus? What if she had listened and been interested, but had been like, yo, I got work to do and I got to get this water back. What if the people in the town had ignored her because of her shameful past of going through many husbands? And yet none of those things happened because the harvest was ripe. And where the Word of God works in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can expect God to bear the fruit of eternal life. John Calvin writes about this Samaritan woman that she had scarcely tasted Christ before she told the whole city about Him. This woman did not know a whole lot about Jesus. 
but she was eager to share what she did know about Jesus. It didn't matter that these people had ostracized her in the past. This news was too good not to share. So often we choose not to tell other people about Jesus because we focus on all that we do not know. We think of all of the questions that we may get asked for which we have no answer. But look at the example of the woman. She was filled with joy because of Jesus and she shared what it was she knew. She did what she could do by telling the people around her even if they were not on good speaking terms. You can even see that this woman understands the lesson that Jesus taught his disciples about what is our true food. This woman left her water jar. She clearly needed water. That's why she went to the well. She may have been thirsty. She may have had people at home who needed this. But the more important task was to tell the town about this traveler who might be the Messiah. Can we imagine doing anything like that? Can we imagine letting the ice cream we bought at the store melt in the trunk if it gives us an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus? Can we fathom missing a practice if we are in the middle of a good discussion with our kids about following Jesus? What do we see as our primary task, as our food and drink in this life? As we hear the Word of God today from the Gospel of John, let us hear the call of Jesus to lift up our eyes. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The fields are ripe for harvest still today. As followers of Jesus, we are part of the labor force that is harvesting souls for God. What a privilege to be laborers in His fields. What a privilege to get to introduce people to the literal Savior of the world. See, the imagery of sowing or reaping or growing and gathering is used by Jesus to describe how he and his disciples were reaping the seeds sown by the prophets. But today, we continue the work of both sowing and reaping. They go on side by side as new generations of people are told about Jesus. It is like our picture from the Old Testament reading in Amos 9, which spoke of the plow overtaking the harvesters. That there's so much to harvest that they're still pulling stuff off and behind them. Oh, what is going on? You are planting more? It is a picture of perpetual fruitfulness. A picture of the work of making disciples today. A consistent sowing and reaping. Sowing the seed of the Word of God and reaping by having God make converts. You see, we sow the seeds by sharing the Word of God. And we don't know if these seeds will grow into full faith now, if it's a quick-growing plant, or in many years, or maybe they will fall by the wayside. And we don't know what seeds have been planted in others. Seeds that have been planted long ago and are growing by God's grace and are near full fruition that are white and ready for harvest. 
Yet we have the privilege of laboring in this gospel work with one another and with Christians around the world. And that's our mission. This should be our food, our greatest joy, making disciples for Jesus Christ. This is our food more than simply living our lives and meeting our daily needs. That our most basic need should be to glorify God by obeying His commands. Our lives are about more than working our job. They are about more than planning for retirement or enjoying the pleasures of the world. Jesus calls us to make disciples of all nations. That includes our own. To share the good news of the gospel with others. Like that person or that one. That even more than raising our children to be responsible adults, it should be our greatest joy to raise them in the Lord, planting seeds of God's Word in them and praying for God to grow them so that they profess faith in Jesus Christ. Fathers, I'll speak to you today. Fathers of all ages. I know I want my kids to grow up and know how to change a tire. To know how to pay their bills and be responsible. To know how to treat a woman they go out on a date with. To know how to use the bathroom without making a giant mess. All of those things. Hugely important. But I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know that Jesus loves them. That the Word of God is trustworthy. And that God is worthy of our lives. That is our job as fathers. To raise them in that way. In the discipline of the Lord. Even more than to be a man in those other ways. See, like Jesus' original disciples, we have been sent, all of us, to reap the harvest by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And that harvest is still ripe today. It may not feel like it is ripe. I don't know how many of you I have spoken to over the last few years about the state of the world or of the country or of the community and how things seem to be just going like this. And I would tell you the harvest is ripe. Because people are looking for hope. People are lost in darkness. People are living in fear and filled with anxiety. And the world has no hope or false hope. And that's what it has to offer. That many people in our own community, in our own families, are living without Jesus. And may we see that unlikely conversions are possible. Who would have imagined Jesus walking into Samaria and everyone just believing in Him? Perhaps we are living in the United States of Samaria or the community of Samaria here. Maybe those who we think least likely to believe will be the ones most receptive to believing. Lift up your eyes. May we see that Christ has called us to this collective mission of making disciples by sharing the hope we have in Jesus. I know you may not know what to say, so just say what you know and tell them about Jesus. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see that the harvest is ripe. Lift up your eyes and see the task that you have been called to with your fellow believers. Lift up your eyes to your risen Lord who has sent you as his witnesses into the fields to do this labor. Lift up your eyes and ask, Holy Spirit, give me a strong desire to share my faith with others. Lift up your eyes to Jesus and be filled with his love, knowing that he is not simply the savior of the world, 
but He is your Savior as well. Let us pray. O Lord, may we make the name of Jesus known in all the earth. And that seems like a really big job, so how about we just start with where we are? For laborers in the field to do a good job, they must focus on the crops nearby and not get overwhelmed by the size of the field. And so may we see where we are. May we lift up our eyes. Spirit, give us eyes to see. And give us a desire and a boldness and a courage and conviction to share our faith with others. To not be intimidated by what we don't know, but to be filled with joy about what we do know about Jesus our Savior. And we pray, O Lord, that seeds would be planted that would grow into full fruition. And that others who have had seeds planted in them will grow and ripen. And we pray, O God, that many would come to believe. That the Spirit would change hearts. And that many more who are lost would be found. That they would be born again in Jesus Christ. And would be saved and know Jesus as their Savior as well. It is in His name we pray. Amen.